Before we pray, I want to read a paragraph from Ucha Anazor's book, Overcoming Apathy. At Christmas, every Christmas, we are reminded of the mystery of the Incarnation. The baby boy in a manger is God with us, Emmanuel. Yet the constant repetition of this magnificent mystery sometimes dulls us to its grandeur. It begins to sound more like a Christmas slogan and not a celebration of the single greatest event in human history. We are all too familiar with the Christmas story, so we become bored by it. We end up numb to the grandeur of Christmas. So that's what we're up against this morning as we look at a text about Christmas. And so let's ask God for grace to overcome apathy and to stir up our hearts. Let's pray. Oh Lord, apart from you, we can do nothing. We cannot rejoice in Christmas and what we're commemorating this morning the way we ought. We can't give our attention to your word the way it deserves. There's extra distractions today, both what happened before the service and what will be happening after the service. So much going on, Lord. And then we have a very familiar text. And so we need your grace to fight against apathy and just this default, I've heard it before, response. We ask for you to stir our hearts with a sense of wonder at the miracle we're singing and talking about today. I pray for anyone who's here who doesn't know Jesus, has never received the gift of salvation he came to bring, or that even today, Christmas Day, might be the day of salvation for them. Ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bible, please turn with me to Luke chapter 2. first seven verses tell us about a baby being born at a certain time in history and in a certain town on a map. And this mother wraps up her newborn in swaddling clothes and lays him in a manger, which of course is a feeding trough for livestock. So why is that event that happened almost 2,000 years ago so significant? As we keep reading, we are told why the birth of this baby is good news of great joy. So beginning at verse 8. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news Great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So the good news of great joy is that a Savior has been born. But what is a Savior? The basic definition is someone who delivers from danger and brings to safety. Someone who rescues from harm or suffering or loss 
and brings to safety. So just last Sunday, I talked to a brother who had a gas leak in their house. And Mid-America Energy and the fire department came and everybody was okay. But he shared one of the scenarios that went through his head that could have happened. He was at work at the time. He said, I could have come home from work and there's my family unconscious in their beds from the gas. And at that point, um, they could not escape the danger they were in. They didn't even know they would be in danger. But if he found them like that and carried them out of the house and brought them to a safe place, he would save their lives. He would be a savior with a small S. They could not rescue themselves. They needed someone to come and rescue them. So what kind of rescue do we need a Savior for? What kind of danger are we in that we need to be delivered from? Some of you might remember the name Carl Sagan. He was an astronomist who became the media's favorite scientific expert. And before he died, he wrote a book called The Pale Blue Dot, referring to the planet Earth. And this is what he said. Our planet is a lonely speck in the great enveloping cosmic dark. In our obscurity, in all this vastness, there is no hint that help will come from elsewhere to save us from ourselves. So Sagan recognizes that the world is not a perfect place. There's something wrong with this world. And it's hard to disagree with that. So many things are not the way they should be. And Sagan acknowledges the problem is us. We need to be safe from ourselves. And again, we can't argue with that. We're aware that our hearts are not quite right. But he says it's hopeless to think help is going to come from anywhere else. We have to figure out how to get out of this mess that we're in We have to come up with a solution to fix this problem. But the good news is that there is help from outside of ourselves. God himself has intervened in sending Jesus to rescue us. This is how 1 John 4, 14 says it. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. We couldn't rescue ourselves God intervened and sent the Son, Jesus, to be the Savior of the world. But we still haven't addressed what kind of Savior do we need. So years ago, I got a Christmas card that I kept because I think it captures the message so well. It's got a little kid with a sled on it, but it says, If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a savior. And you see that right in the Christmas story, Matthew 121. The angel tells Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For it is he who will save his people from their sins. 
or 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a trustworthy statement worthy of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Or Jesus himself in Luke 19.10 says, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So I'm just going to zoom out at the big picture. There is a God who created all things. He created us to have a relationship with himself, not because he needed us. We talked about that just last week in Sunday school. God is not served with human hands as if he needed anything. So it's not because God was lonely, needed a friend, created us out of his fullness. But instead of enjoying a relationship with God, we have all turned away from him. We have all refused to give him the honor and thanks and love and obedience that is due him as our creator. So we are all guilty of rebellion against God, and therefore we are all under his righteous judgment and at risk of eternal punishment if this is not resolved. So that's the bad news. The whole human race has been ruined by sin. We are enemies of God. We cannot make things right. We desperately need a Savior to rescue us or we will be lost forever. John Piper was visiting a man in the hospital. The man was dying. The man knew he was dying. It was short hours before he would leave this world and enter eternity. So you're thinking big thoughts at a time like that. You're not talking about the weather or your favorite sports team. You're thinking big stuff. And he looked up at Dr. Piper with a smile and said, the greatest thing in the world is to be saved. John Piper adds this. Do you feel this? If not, you probably never really felt very lost and desperate before the judgment of God or threatened by an eternity of conscious torment in hell. Oh, how we love being saved after we have just come close to being killed. Oh, how we love life at those moments. So it is when you taste the preciousness of being saved from sin. Not just the words, not just a fact learned from the Bible, but really feeling that you are justly condemned and hopelessly lost and cut off from God and life and joy. And then to learn that God has made a way that he will forgive you, that he will accept you and love you and work all things for your good, that all your sins can be forgiven and cast into the deepest sea and never brought up against you anymore. Oh, the preciousness of being saved from sin and judgment and hell. And if I could just add one thing to that, I would simply add especially when we realize God did not have to provide a Savior for us. He was under no obligation to rescue us. If we think that we were somehow entitled to be delivered from the consequences of the choices we made, that we deserved, or that we were, there was something so special about us, that of course God would provide a Savior for us. Why wouldn't he? We need a deeper grasp of the holiness of God and the seriousness of sin. 
Let me read from Romans chapter 5, just a reality reminder. Romans 5, beginning at verse 6. Paul says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified, declared right in his sight, by his blood, his death on the cross, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So what could be better news for helpless, ungodly sinners who are enemies of God and under his wrath than to hear that a Savior has been born? To hear that Jesus came to rescue us from the eternal separation from God that we deserved and bring us to eternal safety and joy in the presence of God. So that's the good news. Great joy that will be for all people that there is a way back to God even though we've turned away from Him and turned our backs on Him and deserve to be separated from Him forever. He Open the one and only door through Jesus that we could be forgiven and restored and live with him forever in heaven. Well, the angel not only announced the good news that a Savior has been born, but he tells us, or tells the shepherds and us who this Savior is. He is Christ the Lord. Christ is the Greek word. Messiah is the Hebrew word. They're both translating the idea of the anointed one. God's promised king who would deliver his people and set all things right and reign as the highest king over all people forever. And we looked at Daniel 7 last week in his example of this kind of king that would come. If you want to turn to Daniel 7, it's what we're talking about when we use the word Christ or Messiah. Daniel 7. Verse 14, to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. That's why so many Christmas songs talk about the newborn king. Hail to the king. He's the rightful king of the whole world. He's not only king, he is Lord, which means sovereign ruler, undisputed owner, with absolute authority over all things, to whom allegiance and obedience are due. And it's also a a way of saying, this is not just a human being. This is God. So if you're in Luke 2, flip over to Luke chapter 1. 
And this is what the angel Gabriel told to Mary, Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 31. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. It's not just your son. He's the Son of the Most High. He's the Son of God. And there's a couple other texts that make that connection between Christ being the Son of God that just want to point out to you. Matthew 16, remember, Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? He says, you are the Christ. He doesn't just stop there and say, you're the promised king. He says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Let's go together. Or in Mark 14 at Jesus' trial, he is asked, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? So again, they connect Christ and Son of God together, and he says, I am. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven, which is Daniel 7. So we're not just talking about a human baby. He is fully human, but he is fully God. He is God in the flesh. So where is this Savior, this promised deliverer and King who's Lord of heaven and earth to be found? The angel says, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So verses 8 through 12 give us the announcement of the good news. Verses 13 through 20 describe some responses to the good news. First, the response of heaven in verse 13 and 14. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. The next is the response of the shepherds, verse 15 and 16. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began to say to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. So the shepherds were not just content to hear that a Savior had been born. They wanted to go see him for themselves. If you're here last Sunday, we talked about how the priests and the scribes heard that a Messiah had been born, heard the king had been born, heard the one who's worthy to be worshipped had been born, and they weren't willing to go five miles to go see him for themselves. But for the shepherds, it was unthinkable not to go. They don't care about the sheep or anything else. Nothing is more urgent or important than welcoming the Savior. Well, what about you this morning? You have heard the Christmas story yet again. But have you ever embraced the Savior? We all need a Savior. Listen to Psalm 14, which gets quoted in Romans 3. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. So no exceptions. We all 
need a Savior. There's nobody good enough or can do enough good things to qualify themselves. We all need to be rescued. And so will you turn from your rebellion against God and your indifference to what he says and trust in the Savior that he has provided? It says 2 Timothy 1.9. It says, God saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. So there's nothing we can do to add to it or contribute to it or help. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. So there's this plan from all eternity, and it, all these chain of events started happening with the appearing of Christ, our Savior, as a baby on that Christmas. Will you trust Christ alone to rescue you from sin, believing his death on the cross and believing his resurrection from the dead shows he's able to save all who come to God through him. John 1, verse 12 says, As many as received him, welcomed him, embraced him as their own, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even those who believe in his name. Back to the shepherds in Luke 2, verse 17 and 18. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about the child. And all who heard it wandered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. So it's hard enough to keep the birth of a baby to yourself anyway. How much more when the baby is the savior of the world? The angels didn't tell the shepherds specifically to go tell anybody. They just couldn't help it. They had this good news, and they wanted to share the good news with other people. So the very first people to hear the good news of great joy are the first ones to share it with others. And then verse 20. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just has been told them. So like the angels, the shepherds join in giving God the honor and the praise and the thanks that is due him for sending us a Savior and letting their eyes see him. We said a couple weeks ago, the ultimate goal of the good news of great joy, as J.I. Packer put it, is to fill all hearts with wonder and all lips with praise. Let's pray. Well, Lord... It's just good to be reminded of these truths, even though we've heard it before, know it before. Lord, I pray that hearing it again has stirred up our hearts to give you thanks for the indescribable gift of Christ. Thank you for sending the Savior that we needed. We could not rescue ourselves. We thank you that you designed it all and carried it all out in Christ. Pray again for anyone who's here who doesn't know you. Lord, even today, would they put their trust in Christ alone to rescue them from sin and the broken relationship they have with you, bring them into everlasting joy with you. And Lord, for those who, by your grace, have come to see Christ, thank you that you opened our eyes to who he is. Thank you that you changed our hearts like you did for Lydia to open them and 
and embrace Christ as our Lord and Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing, God rest you, merry gentlemen. He has come for us.